found your song, Fran. So, Fran, hey, mm-hmm. hey, life comes at you fast, doesn't it? Man, speed of light, bro. We felt like it would be a good idea to um, explain for our listeners and followers uh, why we have taken such an extended hiatus recently from our show and kind of stepped back a little bit from our Twitter shenanigans. We're still on there, but, you know, we took a little step back for a bit. Yeah. Um, a little bit. And um, that's because we're people and we're people who have major life happen. I think sometimes people forget that, you know, we, uh, we actually have lives outside of Richmond politics because we aren't really um, in the habit of talking about ourselves personally, you know? Girl, we're not people, we're robots, man. It's true. I think to a lot of people, we might be. That but, live in City Hall on the observation deck in a tent. But no, we're actually legitimate people with real lives that, you know, we keep private because that's who we are. I think only one time I've ever talked about any of my other health problems or anything that was, you know, during a campaign I had to drop out of, but mm-hmm. y'all don't like know us that deep, but you're about to mm-hmm. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. probably about to know us a little more maybe than you thought you wanted to. Um, maybe. maybe. So uh, back in February, I was diagnosed with stage two invasive ductal carcinoma, which is breast cancer. You know, it is what it is. Uh, Also turns out that I have the BRCA1 gene, Mm -hmm. which makes recurrence, um, you know, pretty high. So the day after we are recording this, I begin chemo. Um, I've had a port cath put in here. You guys watching can see there's my little scar. Uh, my surgeon, Dr. Misty Wilson, cute little Georgia peach. She made it perfect. Like it's absolutely perfect. When you get up close, you hardly even notice. So kudos to her and all the staff at uh, Memorial Regional who have been really good to me and all the staff at Virginia Cancer Institute and Virginia Women's Center who helped me detect this and do all the biopsies and get me to the right oncologist and surgeon and I was really blessed and lucky right from the get-go when I discovered a lump um, during a breast exam that I called my gynecologist and boom, 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 everything was in place. But as we're about to learn in the show following this uh, with our guest from the Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation, that it's not always like that. Um, Not every woman is uh, as blessed as I am when it comes to doctors and treatment options and early detection, et cetera. Fran and I felt like this is an opportunity for us to be really real and lay some fair and advocate for women, for women's breast health, for women's health in general, women's mental health. Like there's so much, there's so much that goes on with a cancer diagnosis. And um, unfortunately in um, RVA Dirt's life, I'm not the only one that has cancer going on. Right. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that too? Yeah. So we can share. So um, 
interestingly enough, <clears throat> people have noticed I've been um, more quiet than usual for a while. And um, that's because my um, husband, who y'all hear me talk about sometimes, little short guy, bald head, little milk dud looking thing, kind of thing going on, you know. Calvin is his name. But, but, but Calvin was experiencing some, hmm, <clears throat> I don't know, I guess discomfort or um, just kind of some, some, some strange, some strange things and couldn't figure out what it was. Husband also suffers from diabetes. So we thought it was just some issues with maybe neuropathy, things like that. Never thought about it. So, you know, things go, things come, things go. Then we realized, um, I realized that he was always carrying a phone and talking on the phone and speakerphone. And he was keeping the television up really loud. I am my husband's a veteran. Thank you all for your service for our listeners that are veterans and are still actively on duty. And at the ENT, which is ear, nose, throat doctor, they found that he had some hearing loss, which was interesting. Even more interesting, hosts finding that out, you get an MRI and they found a brain tumor. Um, and it took a little bit of running around to try to figure out what was going on. So we went a couple of months trying to determine whether, how long it had been there and when it was growing and, and trying to answer a lot of questions. Um, and so I guess around maybe about a month and a half ago, we went through the process of having a very evasive biopsy and the results came back um, that it in fact was uh, malignant. And um, while we're recording this, exactly a week, from today, uh, he'll be getting uh, surgery, having that tumor um, hopefully removed in its entirety as much as possible at the uh, VA with his great specialist there. And we'll then continue treatment with uh, chemo and radiation, um, which hopefully hopefully will subside the cancer and kill it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I start chemo on the 22nd, which will be, you know, a week prior. You guys will hear this a week after I start. And then, yeah. What? And I just thought about this. This is directly following. I just, we, I just moved grandma out of my office from <laughs> battling and winning colon cancer. Yeah. Last year. So RVA dirt has cancer. <laughs> Just got grandma out. So yeah, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I'll do that. I'll I'll start chemo um, on the twenty second, and then after that, I will most likely have a double mastectomy with reconstruction um, and radiation uh, because we're getting rid of those rotten tomatoes, and we're getting new ones. Get some new ones, baby. It's it's a long road. Um, I know somewhat what to expect because my husband, Jerry is a two-time cancer survivor and I've been his caregiver before, but you know, as we'll talk about in the upcoming show, uh, breast cancer treatment's much different and everybody's individualized and everything is, it's different now and advances are being made all the time. So we thought it'd be fun to share with y'all what I'm going through. Uh, we're going to utilize our social media, our Twitter, our Instagram. Uh, we're going to have a YouTube channel uh, for random videos and we're going to use TikTok because why not? Yeah. Early prevention and maintenance and, 
you know, looking out for yourself is really important. So we will stress that a lot, a lot. Uh, But we'll also stress checking in on your friends who are going through all of this kind of stuff and what you can do to support them um, in a way that makes them feel comfortable. Because as I've discovered in telling people my diagnosis, some people are very, very uncomfortable with saying the word cancer even, and they want to help you. They do want to help, um, but they don't know how, and they don't know how to get their head around such a big diagnosis. And so um, we'll discuss ways that you can support other people that you know that may be going through a time like this. Support the caregivers. Yeah, always support the caregivers because so Fran uh, gets the unique joy of being a caregiver at home and then also um, being a, a supportive friend in all of this to somebody else having their own separate battle with cancer. So it's a lot. Everybody's not built. And let me say that everybody is not built for this life, right? Right. I've been a caregiver for my, my grandmother, my grandfather um, passed away um, due to complications battling uh, pancreatic cancer. And I was his caregiver as well. My grandmother's mother, um, I took care of her until she was 100. She passed away at 100. I, I'm, I'm, it's something in, in me, right? And yeah. I'm okay with that. I'm fine. But I think that's an important part of this conversation too, is that caregiving is a work. It's a work. And people want to, just like it makes people uncomfortable and they don't, and we'll talk about that on the show. Um, it's going to come up how to, you know, people say, well, you know, I want to help, but I don't really know, like, there's, like, how do I fit in? Or like, how do I help? Or like, what do I do? And so imagine just you wanting to bring over a dinner, right? And how weird and awkward that may feel just to for you to just help that one thing. Imagine what it's like for the person that's there every day. Yeah. For a person who may be terminal, right? Or may just not be able to help themselves. Who's, you know, wiping butt every day or mm-hmm. is wiping a nose or blowing a nose or, you know, it, whatever it is that, that in and of itself is a, um, is a lesson in humility. And it's also, um, a necessary, uh, therapy. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important that we look at it holistically so that people understand that, uh, check on your folk, check on your folk, because everybody's going through so much stuff. And 2020 has been such a disconnected um, time, right? For all of us, because we've been locked up in the house, you know, with coronavirus. And but so, it still feels like we're stuck in like the tail end of 2020, you know, yeah. let's be real. It hasn't it's felt like the fresh 18, year. 19 month, basically of 2020. Yeah. And that's, you know, and it's, we're so kind of, everybody's kind of, you created your bubble, right? Mm-hmm. And people are still like in those bubbles and I, and I mean, personally, I ain't complaining, right? But I know I, I, I'm going to stay in this bubble. Thank you. Um, I, I really enjoy. Thank you. You know what? I'll cut that out. <laughs> no, right. But I love, I love the bubble. No free advertisements here. I know, right? I love the bubble, but it's, it's hard. It's hard. I'm an extrovert. I love people. So it's hard to not be out and about. And I get it. But um, check on your folk because everybody's going through a lot and it's not always, it's not always uh, visually seen. It's not always able to be, you know, out and in the open. And so check and it's on not your folk. comfortable to talk about, you know, 
if you're not comfortable talking about it, that's okay too. You can find your own ways to support people who are going through rough stuff. We are comfortable talking about it. I've been, I've had a couple of weeks now to really wrap my head around this crazy pants diagnosis and crazy pants treatment that I'm about to have. And we're going to deal with it with humor and love and honesty and transparency. Mm -hmm. And if you have any questions for either of us, yeah, we're just going to have these conversations. You want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. Hit us up. Yeah. You can hit us up across all social media at RVA Dirt. You can... Email us, info at rvadirt.com. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, find us, talk about it. Who is excited about Melissa's mullet journey? <laughs> My hair is just growing back from shaving it. My grandfather was going, or he was finding out about his diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. And he was like, I'm going to lose my hair and I'm going to be Kojak. And I was like, oh, it's going to be fine. You'll be fine. And he cried, you know, hair is, and let me tell you, hair for women in general is, is, is an identity. It's a thing. It's power for us. Right. Um, hair for black people is even more spiritual connected to not just, and, and very much so identity too, because it's so in tied to, to so much. Right. And so dad was like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't know what that's going to be like. And I said, dad, it'll be fine. It's just hair. And I said that, I know I didn't mean it, but I said it to comfort him. Yeah. And he said, well, if it's just hair, then you lose yours. And let me see how you feel about it. And you know me, you know, you ain't going like, to oh. don't threaten me with a good time. baby. I was like, did you just challenge Francesca Lee Davis? You did. And let me tell you, I'm my daddy's baby. Don't challenge me, honey. Cause I love you. So I went right down the road, went to my cousin, who's a beautician, and I shaved my head. Daddy goes through chemo. Daddy lost maybe 8% of his hair. He's sitting there with hair. And my silly ass is sitting there with no hair. (laughs) (sighs) So it's okay. And my hair is just growing back from it. I went, and that's how I went. And that was my natural journey. That's how I went natural. So it's okay. Speaking of journeys, we're about to go on one. Come with us if you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be interesting. Melissa's um, eyebrow wigs. Oh yeah, eyebrow wigs. I'm gonna let Fran draw them on too. Like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop that amazing Ursula arch that I've always wanted. You better pop and that eyebrow for Saint Nick. You don't do it right. You ain't getting. I introduced you to that song. <laughs> I was singing it this morning for breakfast. <laughs> you did it. Sure pop. It is. It's always my fault. Anyway, come along on this fantastic voyage with us. Uh, we'll see where it takes us. Good, bad, fantastic ugly. Voyage. Why'd you do that? I, I, have, I have a knack. I have a oh, knack oh, for turning everything oh, into a musical. You, you need to be on Garrett and I's conversations every morning. Come along and ride on the fantastic voyage. We're going to be here all night. All right, y'all. At least we have to, did you, this is you gotta laugh about it. Yeah. We, this is what we do. This is how we do. This, this is how we get through that and, and whatever's in this. I'll never tell. Fran's got her popcorn because you know, life's always interesting. Y'all, you done messed up because you just started putting these zooms on, on YouTube. So now everybody's going to think I'm a fat ass because I'm always eating when we record. I turn my mic off and I'm always eating. I'm like, damn, how did Fran lose all that, all that pandemic weight and she's always eating? You'd be like, how the hell did Fran lose 45, 50 pounds during the pandemic and she's always eating? I know. I'm telling on you. I'm telling on you with this YouTube channel. Sorry. Josh. Sorry, friend. 
Transparency and accountability, Francesca. Uh -uh. Watch us kick cancer's ass. All right. And welcome listeners to another week of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. That's right. Heard every Wednesday here on WRIR LP 97.3 Richmond Independent Radio. Yep. Hi. Yes. Hi. So <laughs> when when this actually airs, there'll be a message uh, before that that uh, I plop into the front. And um, so, yeah, we dropped a bomb on everyone. We dropped a couple of bombs on everyone uh, yep. previous to the you know show we're about to to air. So, yeah, that's that's fun. Um, and today's guests actually uh, relate completely uh to said bomb um (laughs) and i don't even i don't really know how to like introduce this so we are going to let our guests as usual introduce themselves um they are repping the uh, virginia breast cancer foundation and i guess we'll start i'm gonna start over here to my left with tara hi there I am on the board of the of directors for Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation, and I am a cancer survivor. I was diagnosed with stage three um, invasive ductal carcinoma, triple negative, when I was 37 years old. And I have just celebrated two years being out of active treatment and disease-free. Yay! Amazing. Yes, That's congratulations. Awesome. Kirsta, right? Yes. We're all just meeting each other, too, so this is fun. <laughs> Hello, I'm Kirsten Millar, and I am the policy manager at the Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation. And as I'm sure many people on this call uh, just uh, touched by breast cancer personally through friends and family and um, have been working with VBCF for the last six years. And um, I head up our advocacy work. And just like this conversation, we know that Um, folks talking to their own legislators personally about their stories and sharing the struggles that they've had when they're in treatment and all those sort of things really help us to improve policies around breast cancer and healthcare. So I'll touch upon that maybe a little bit later Um, in case people want to get more involved with us. We are always happy to have more uh, volunteer advocates. I'm Erin Stagletter. I'm the education manager for Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation. During uh, non-COVID times, I'm usually traveling around the state giving presentations, educating people about breast cancer and what they can do to be more aware of their health. And I I tell people that my job is to get you to the doctor at the right time. So people are aware of the signs that they go early and hopefully catch things early. And what does that mean when you say go, uh, go early? Because so I had my first baseline mammogram at 40 and everything was fine. Just dense breast tissue, you know, and then this past, you know, January, just, just January, I was like, oh, hey, what's that? And everything's just gone really quickly since then. Is 40 like the appropriate age uh, to get a mammogram or should we be pushing for sooner? Because my doctors have told me that they see more and more women younger than me coming in. So that's a really complex question um, when it comes to breast cancer. So I will say that When I say come in early, I mean, if you notice that something is wrong, call your doctor. 
there's a lot of fear when it comes to breast cancer. And sometimes that fear can prevent people from going to their doctor right when they think something is wrong because uh, they are, or they're too busy, or I'm going to put this off because I have to do 10 other things first, or I'm too young to have breast cancer. It's probably nothing. I'm going to put it off. So that's really what I mean when I say go in early is if you think something is wrong, go talk to a doctor and either have your fears calmed or go through the process to catch something earlier. And when it comes to age of mammograms, that kind of is an individual thing. Um, for years, it's the guideline was 40, but for some women that is too late. For example, or some people, if they, um, if they have a family history of breast cancer, you want to get screened 10 years before your relative was diagnosed. So if your mom was diagnosed at 45, you need to start getting breast cancers at 35 at least. So that is an individual question. And part of the process is talking to your doctor about your family history. So you can come up with a plan together as to when to get screened. Another hiccup with that is that mammograms are a great tool, but like you mentioned with dense breast tissue, it can miss tumors because dense breast tissue looks very similar to tumor tissue. And sometimes it can be hard to tell the difference. So things can hide and, uh, yeah. So that's, that's one thing to, and generally when we're younger, we have denser breast tissue anyway. So if we start having mammograms younger, we're not going to see anything. So that's one of the hiccups with it too, is just the technology of it is really wonderful, but not for everybody all the time. But self-breast exams at home are still highly recommended, right? So when it comes to self-breast exams, they've moved away from doing a pattern in the same way at the same time of the month, every month, because research has shown that that isn't really helping people catch cancers earlier. Uh, what's most important is knowing your body, being familiar with how your body normally looks and feels. And that can be skin te texture change. It can be discharge from uh, nipples. It can be, you know, a heaviness that is new. Or oftentimes I've heard stories of women, people doing their everyday life things and they bump their chest and like, oh, that's new. That's often when people will find it just incidental, not necessarily doing something in a regimented way every month. Because then also people are afraid, oh, if I do it wrong, I'm going to miss something. Or is this the right way to do it? I don't know. Really check yourself when you're in the shower, see what your skin feels like, see how your breasts hang. That's really the most important thing is to know what your body, what your body's normal is so that when something is off, you notice. Yeah, that actually is kind of what set me off is I was like, oh, you know, I don't think I've done a breast self-exam in months, you know, and I was like, and it feels something doesn't feel awesome right there. And sure enough, yeah, I happen to be super lucky. Um, I went to my gynecologist right away who scheduled you know, mammograms and ultrasounds right away. And then biopsy right after that. And then I happen to have a hematologist who is also a breast cancer specialist. And so I was already going to her for my anemia. I had all of these wonderful things fall into place. Like it was absolutely perfect. I had no interruption between, you know, finding it and beginning care. But that is not the case for um, quite a few women out there, especially even in our community. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I, I think I'll start this off. And if uh, Kirsten or Tara have anything, feel free to jump in. But um, I talk about how breast cancer survival rates have really gone up 
And that's amazing. I think 1991 was the year of the highest deaths of uh, from breast cancer. And that was actually the year of our founding. And things have just improved from there for mostly for older white women. Things have really um, improved. Now, in recent years, things have been improving for African-American women as well. But the most common cancer version of breast cancer is most common in uh, older white women. We've got some great treatment op options for that. The type of breast cancer that is more common in w women of color, especially younger women of color and younger women in general, as Tara can attest to, is triple negative breast cancer. And we don't have targeted treatments for that at this point. So there, there's, um, there's some issues there. And for uh, African-American women, there's also been a delay between diagnosis and treatment. And there are lots of answers for that, reasons why that happens. But that, that's something that, you know, particularly in Virginia, African-American women are getting their mammograms uh, every two years more often than white women are. They have a higher rate of on-time mammograms but it's not really equating to more lives saved. So that, that's an area where we definitely need to do some work. And why is that? Um, if, if, the, if the trend is showing that they are more likely to, we're, we're more likely to be getting mammograms more, but it's not, it's not helping us, it's not saving us. Where's the disconnect there? Is it in the care? Is it in the, the, the post-treatment? Where's, where's the link? Where's the, or where's the broken link? Yeah, so it's, it's in um, lots of places. It can be in the triple negative breast cancer diagnosis, which is more aggressive, or it can be more aggressive, and it can be in the care. Um, it can be in just the delay from diagnosis to treatment. And in traveling around, I've heard from a lot of folks that they tell me that they got diagnosed with breast cancer, but they didn't want to face it. So, or they, um, they had too many other things to do. So they weren't ready to start treatment yet. They wanted to wait for a certain amount of time, or maybe some folks don't have access to medical care to pay for treatment, or they're afraid, I don't know how to pay for this and aren't aware of the resources that are available in the state to help people pay for, pay for breast cancer treatment. So there, there are lots of things in there. It's, it, it's hard to tease one out, but there's definitely lots of areas where we can do some work. Yeah. And I will say just as someone who had triple negative breast cancer, um, I was too young to be getting regular mammograms. But even if I was old enough, it, it might not have caught it on my routine mammogram because it is so aggressive. You know, by the time I caught it, it was stage three. And one of my doctors told me that I might have only had it for a few months. So it's it's you know, you could very easily miss that even if you're getting mammograms every two years as prescribed. And one thing I forgot to mention too is that um, the average age of diagnosis in breast cancer in African-American women is younger than in white women. And what we've seen too with breast cancer is younger diagnosis can be a more aggressive cancer. And I've talked to uh, many younger black women who said, yeah, I went to my doctor and I thought something was wrong, but they told me I was too young. So I didn't, it wasn't until I showed up in the emergency room for something else that they figured out I had breast cancer or, you know, things like that. So I've heard that story too many times. So younger women sometimes have, have trouble navigating the medical system and having some doctors look past the t statistics and see the patient that's in front of them. 
And, you know, I went to my doctor right away and they said, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. Um, you know, they felt the lump and they said, it doesn't feel like breast cancer. And I said, you know, we all agree, like, let's just get a mammogram. And they said, okay, well, um, the next, the, you can get a mammogram in a few weeks. And I said, no, 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 no. So I, I went to my car with a list of numbers and I called everyone and got a mammogram three days later, I think it was. And I was diagnosed within the next week fact that you had to advocate for yourself to get that and it wasn't just automatic like for me it was automatic boom 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 we're going to schedule everything for you we need to get on top of this now and I'm a pretty I I do advocate for myself which is one of the reasons why I try to use my voice to help others because a lot of people aren't like that but you really have to keep pushing and you know keep asking and if something's not right or if you don't click with your doctor find another doctor call and get your own appointments like there's really a lot that you can do for yourself that um you know it takes time it takes persistence it takes you having to face this and know that you could be facing this diagnosis so it's it's hard and that's an ongoing problem as well in the african-american community for women having to advocate for themselves, um, for care and being pushed or having to push uh, physicians to say, no, I can't wait. Or, I, or if, if they're told by the doctor, it's nothing. What is the next option? Because there may not be another option for lack of you know, insurance options or just not knowing. That's one. And, uh, you know, Erin and Krista can speak more about this, but that's one of the great things about Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation is that we can provide options for people that can't afford mammograms. There are resources that we can point people to um, to help them get through that obstacle. Erin may be able to speak a little bit more about some of the other kinds of financial resources that we can connect people to. But one of the main uh, programs that Virginia has is the Every Woman's Life program. And if you do not have um, health insurance coverage, you can call a number, this number for the um, Every Woman's Life program, and they will connect you with a free screening mammogram. Um, you know, the other thing that BBCF has worked on, uh, we worked on Medicaid expansion in Virginia. That was a real big issue for us because we want everyone to have access to the screening mammogram and to the treatment options that they need. And, um, you know, that's been a, a great boon. It's uh, covering a lot more uh, lower income folks in Virginia. And um, we just want people to be able to get the healthcare that they need. And, um, but I think Aaron can talk to you as well that um, there are some other uh, options for folks in terms of help with um, financial resources, um, transportation costs, um, things like that, that those are all things that come into play when you're facing a diagnosis like these. How am I going to keep working? How am I going to have time off? Um, in the last General Assembly session, we've been working towards, we really want to push um, paid family and medical leave. Often people have unpaid leave, but not paid leave. And when you're facing a diagnosis of breast cancer, the last thing you need to worry about is how you're going to pay your bills and keep your health insurance and all of those things. It's stressful enough. So um, in terms of advocacy, there's some bigger picture things that the, the foundation is working on so that, um, you know, everyone, man or woman that faces breast cancer is not um, facing additional uh, challenges. Yeah, as Kirsten mentioned, it's not just, uh, and I'm sure some of you have experienced, it's not just the medical side because the rest of your life is still happening. So get diagnosed with breast cancer, all the medical stuff hits like, wait, what about my job? Can I keep working? Can I not keep working? How can I talk to them about this? If you have kids, 
how do I do this with kids? How do I get groceries? How do, how do I do all of the stuff that many of us are doing normally? Like things are going to change. How do you, if you don't have a, a partner, how, how are you going to get support to do the rest of your life? So there are some services out there um, that can provide some help with those things, either financial or um, just other resources, but we are in need of more wraparound services for folks facing cancer and really the total uprooting of their life. And if folks that are listening are, are interested in connecting with those resources, um, please go to vbcf.org. Um, we have a newly diagnosed um, packet of information that we can send you right away. But then our website also has uh, connections to all, all sorts of other uh, resources. So that's definitely the first place to start. Um, and we're happy to help um, in any way we can. I got one and it's awesome. Thank you very much. I was really excited about the little pillow and it is the cutest, prettiest little pillow ever. <laughs> you get a diagnosis, you know, um, and you're going to see various doctors, um, you know, trying to find an oncologist that fits you, etc. I know none of y'all are doctors, but can you help or help guide folks through what treatment is like, especially there's a, a survivor on with us. Let's talk a little bit about what the treatment is like, because I don't, you see all this stuff on TV about, you know, folks going through chemo and radiation and, and surgery and everything. Um, and there's varying degrees of reality. Um, so, you know, especially for me, who's I have a little bit of an edge because I was a cancer caregiver. So I know a little bit about um, the process of chemo, but breast cancer isn't like every, uh, every cancer. It's not treated the same and treatment is individualized. So um, let's. Yeah. Before you step in, if I could preface this a little bit, and that's, that's one thing that we're dealing with when we're talking about breast cancers, people think it's one disease and it's not, it's multiple different diseases. I, I think, have learned so much over the past couple of weeks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, there are at least four, there are four main types that I usually talk about in my presentations, but I heard that there are at least 16 different subtypes. I mean, your tumors can express different hormones and based on your genetic background, there might be certain treatments that work for you better. I mean, it's treatment is so individualized. They look at everything about you to try to figure out what the best treatment is for you. So two people who seem to be the same might have completely different breast cancer treatment and treatment experiences because of just who they are internally. Um, so I wanted to be sure that we talked about that. Yeah, absolutely. I recently met a neighbor who was diagnosed with triple negative invasive ductal carcinoma, same thing as me, but her treatments are completely different than mine. So even she ha was um, diagnosed at a different stage. So um, mine had gone into my lymph nodes, unfortunately. So I like to say I got the whole enchilada. I got chemo, surgery, and radiation. Um, so in that order, um, and then after radiation, I went back and did a bunch of reconstructive surgeries. So I've, I've had seven surgeries total. So hopefully I'm done now. But the chemo that I got was pretty intense um, as far as chemo goes. I was told right away that I was going to lose my hair. So I was bald for a while. Um, I had a wig and then I finally was like, now nah, we're just going to go bald. And, uh, and, I, and I went bald. Um, so that was not anything I had ever expected to do in my life was to have pictures of myself on the internet with a bald head, but it happened. Um, 
Mine was dose dense. So I went um, every other week for eight treatments. So it started mid August and it, my last treatment was the day before Thanksgiving, which I felt was really, um, really appropriate. Cause I was just so thankful that I was through it and I could tell that my tumor was, was going down and I didn't know exactly how much, but I felt good. And I was just so grateful. I think that's the one thing is I just, I learned to be grateful for everything in my life in a way that I wasn't before I was diagnosed and just my support system. And so we actually had a party or my no mo chemo party the night before Thanksgiving, where we toasted everyone that, um, that had helped during my treatments. And it was just a really wonderful thing. So I did my chemo, I had to recover a little bit from chemo. Um, and then I had surgery mid December of, uh, 2018. And I did, I eventually did a double mastectomy, but I chose to do um, a mastectomy on the left side with, um, they removed 34 of my lymph nodes and they did a temporary reconstruction. So I could look like, like, you know, have a familiar body shape and, um, then go through radiation. And about a week after Christmas, the pathology came back and I had a complete response to my chemo, which meant there was no sign of disease in any of the lymph nodes, no sign of the tumor. So the chemo did its job and I was really grateful, but we were still worried that there was a little cell here or there that had escaped the chemo. Um, and so we went ahead and did the radiation radiation for me was, um, the whole breast radiation. So I went in every afternoon for 25 afternoons. Again, I took a little break in between surgery and radiation to heal. And, um, honestly, like I knew that I was considered disease-free at that point. So emotionally, that was the hardest for me because I was ready to be done. I, I was ready to move on. I was ready to get past this. And I had to go every day for 25 days and have the radiation done. And um, in my case, because it was in my chest, I had to turn my head and put this like snorkel-like thing in my mouth and, and hold my breath. So it was really, um, it was kind of intense. Uh, so the side effects weren't as bad for the radiation. I got really tired. I got a little, my skin got a little burnt, but my doctor was also a beekeeper. So he recommended that I use this certain honey on my burns and it worked. Um, it was weird, but it worked. Um, so that, that helped. And I thankfully, other than the cancer, I'm pretty healthy. So I recovered pretty quickly, um, from all of that. And then kind of spent the summer just recovering. And then that next uh, fall, early winter, I went ahead and did the other side. Um, and so I've, I've had a double mastectomy at this point because I was so young and because the cancer was so aggressive, I wanted to re reduce my risk of recurrence as much as possible. Did that kind of answer your question or are you looking for more details about? <laughs> no, that, that does, that answers the question. Okay. I think that's good. Cause also, you know, your side effects are also rather individualized. It's nice to hear somebody's story, but when I go through it, I may have something different. Now I have been told, you know, fatigue, nausea, I'm going to lose my hair, you know, that sort of thing. The double mastectomies and the cards, you know, these are all things that um, you really have to grapple with mentally because for women, hair is power, you know, breasts are part of like, just intrinsically part of you. Like you just, can't escape them. Identity. And yes, it's identity. part of your identity in a lot of ways. And you kind of have to deal with the fact that it's, it doesn't make you, 
you know? Um, and so, you know, that's kind of what I'm going through right now is just really trying to get right with myself that these changes are going to happen to my body. And that doesn't make me any less of a woman or who I am as Melissa. It's just maybe an enhanced Melissa, you know? Well, the losing the hair was so it was hard. It was really hard. I had really long straight hair that I loved. And I felt like that's what made me look sick was when I lost my hair. And, you know, some people don't, don't mention this, but I'm just going to mention that you don't just lose the hair on your head. You lose all of your hair. So, um, you know, I got a real good eyebrow filler, um, you know, put, put the, uh, the mascara on where I could, maybe some fake lashes if I needed to. But that was, that was hard. It was really hard. I actually bought a wig and had my hair cut like the wig before I lost it. And then um, my job was very forward facing at the time. And I didn't want to get those looks of why is this bald lady helping me? So with people that I didn't know. Uh, so I transitioned to the wig and then, um, you know, once after my surgery, really, I stopped wearing the wig. And I found like, for me, I would hide behind my long hair. And when I lost it, there was no hiding anymore. It was, it was all me. And it became kind of empowering. Um, would I do it again? I wouldn't choose to do it again. No, but it, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, I look back at pictures and I think, wow, I rocked that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, it really is a, it's a mental journey just to deal with it. And so I always deal with things with humor. And so my plan is to absolutely do a video of myself, giving myself like a mullet and like 90s shaved sides. Like we're going to do all kinds of crazy mess until it's just gone and might as well just be myself with it too. But um, I feel like a lot of other women just struggle hard. There's the, the mental health aspect behind all of this is really important to me to share with listeners uh, what resources are out there to take care of you in here while you're going through this process. So we actually, we have um, a fact sheet, we put it in our survivorship packet, but um, it's, it's, I believe it's available individually, but um, it's a list of therapist resources and information about what it's like, basically, if someone has never sought mental health care before, what it's like, what to expect, you know, the fact that if you don't like your provider, it doesn't mean that therapy isn't for you, it just might not be that right person. And um, what we did to create that list was look on a couple sources and find out maybe folks who specialized in body image, or, you know, things, uh, other things like that, that uh, cancer patients, cancer survivors go through um, and just put a basic list together for folks to start with. Um, but it, it's super important because like you mentioned, breast cancer isn't just about your body. It can be about your whole sense of identity and femininity because it, it is everything. Um, and so we have some information there encouraging folks to talk to Somebody. Also, most cancer centers, especially in the Central Virginia area, have nurse navigators that can really help you with some of the um, management of other things in your life, as well as some of the medical care. Nurse navigators, I'm sure, would be able to help folks get connected to mental health care um, while they're going through treatment. They're awesome advocates for the patient. 
Yeah, I'm going to just add to that, that I know um, some of the hospital systems in our area have like counselors on hand. So um, if you don't have a specific therapist or maybe it's cost prohibitive or time prohibitive, you can start there with within the hospital system. Um, I, you know, I found that when I started my treatments, I was really busy with the business of being sick. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of time for me to think about, um, you know, I kind of put my head down and got through treatments. Um, but I, I will say that, um, you know, therapy is a really good thing because this is trauma. Uh, this is, this is weird, right? Like, you know, you're healthy. And then two months later, you're bald and going through chemo. Like that's, that's a lot. Um, you know, the other thing that really helped me, I have had done acupuncture for years and years and years. So once I felt ready, I did that um, as a complement to my Eastern medicine or my Western medicine. Um, it really helped me with a lot of the nausea um, and a lot of the side effects. Um, one of my chemo drugs had a high uh, rate of neuropathy where you lose sensation in your fingers and toes. And I did a lot of, of acupuncture and other remedies and I didn't have any of that. So I was really happy about that. So I think if you can find things that are soothing to you, you know, is it a massage? Is it acupuncture? Like, don't forget to, to focus on that. I think that's going to help you get through it as well. And I think, um, I think it was last, uh, a few years ago, uh, Massey Cancer Center hosted this workshop for yoga for cancer. So it was teaching uh, yoga instructors, specific poses, modifications, things like that for people who are going through cancer. Um, yeah, I don't know if Terry- Yeah, they still have it. Um, I think it's online now because of the pandemic. So um, that's a resource they have. They also have an acupuncture that, acupuncturist that works with them, but um, you know, I think it's a separate service, but they, they try to integrate a lot of those um, holistic. You know, I think diet's another thing. When I was going through treatment, I kind of ate whatever I could eat, but now that I'm kind of through everything, it does make me feel better when I, there are specific cancer, um, recommendations, uh, to, to reduce your risk of cancer. And, uh, we did, uh, Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation did a whole webinar earlier this year with, um, a dietitian from Massey about specific, uh, guidelines that they have and, um, they're science backed, which is nice. Yeah, we, we also had um, most recently in February, we had a webinar with a cardio oncologist. So talking about the effects, uh, the cardiac effects of going through cancer treatment and kind of the relationship between heart health and um, cancer. And we have all those webinars on our website, vbcf.org slash webinars. So, I mean, we have um, all sorts of ones. We have one, we have one on mindfulness. Um, we have, uh, and we have more coming. So, um, yeah, I encourage folks to take a look at that as well for some more information on specific topics. Well, in talking about your um, fem the femininity issue, there's also one on um, sexual health after having breast cancer, which was really good. That is super important. <laughs> yes, I didn't think about that. It, I know. I didn't, I didn't, I, that just occurred to me. Like, Yeah, because, I mean, again, it's not just there are physical side effects that folks are dealing with post-treatment and during treatment. And then the mental is, you know, how do you start to feel sexy again if you don't feel sexy anymore? Or if you do, but you're dealing with 
other side effects from your treatment, how do you, how do you combat that either with medications or different therapies or things like that? Um, and it's something that folks are often afraid to talk to their doctors about. And doctors don't necessarily have a lot of the information about it either, but it is good to open up that dialogue because that's a huge part of people's lives. Um, it's an important part of recovery is talking to your doctor about other issues that you might be facing. I also quickly just wanted to mention that support groups are really important for many going through cancer. And we have a list of support groups um, for every region of Virginia on our website if you need to get connected. And, um, you know, just one thing to say about that is that the Virginia Breast Cancer Foundation was founded by five women who met in a support group for breast cancer back in 1991, and they were mad that not enough was being done to put money towards uh, money towards research and money towards treatment options and getting the word out. And so they were pissed off and uh, organized and had a Mother's Day rally at the Capitol on, um, in 1991, and that was sort of the launch of our organization. And um, so, yeah, the power of angry women is what we like to attribute ourselves to, so... Women tend to do that. We tend to wreck jumblies when we need jumblies done. Agreed. Before we close, uh, I, like I said, this is all brand new to me, this wide, wonderful world of breast me cancer. Too. Like what? Um, <laughs> but me too. And I've had cancer, 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 cancer all around. Yeah. Grandma had colon cancer last year. She's beat it. My husband has had a recent diagnosis and he's um about to have surgery when we're recording the show but he will have had surgery already for brain tumor brain cancer so i mean it's just everywhere rba dirt has cancer yay Um. it's all everywhere it's It's everywhere everywhere. but we i have no my grandfather died from pancreatic cancer i mean we're all different types but have no experience have had no experience with breast cancer right. um and and didn't even know where to start um no. if we're missing something if there's something that you haven't talked about that you really want to talk about go for it the floor is wide open one thing i want to touch on is um that we are like i mentioned you know we're making great strides in breast cancer treatment and things like that for multiple groups. Like uh, I think the mortality rate is um, definitely slowing down, improving for African-American women as well. But where we don't have much research is our LGBTQ folks. In fact, there's no accounting of how many LGBTQ cancer survivors are in the country because they don't ask the question. We don't know. Um, there is a, the survey will be closing at the end of March, but um, there's a national survey out now basically asking that question, asking about how folks have dealt with cancer treatment uh, while LGBTQ, like do, do they have any issues with um, interacting with medical staff? What was their treatment like? You know, anything like that, Tr- just trying to get basic information about this population because we haven't asked the questions before. So I would say, we're starting in, in that space to get some more information and um, is where we're also encouraging a lot of providers to educate themselves some more and their frontline staff just and create new forms. And there's advocacy in the electronic medical record space as well to make sure you know, they're gender inclusive because it's not just uh, 
how the person wants to be addressed, but it's their insurance gender and biological gender. So it's for sex. So there's a lot of space to grow and lots more that we can learn to help um, all sorts of folks who are going through breast cancer. Yeah, I'll just say, I'm sorry that you're in this group that one in eight American women are in. Like, it's not, a, I, I never wanted to be in it. And, you know, I never want to invite anyone else into this group. But I will say that it's filled with some really caring, kind, passionate, smart, you know, brave women that I've met and have really inspired me. So just keep your eyes open for that, I would say because they're out there and they're ready to support you in any way you need. Like yourself. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Cause I know, you know, it's, it's very personal and we really appreciate, you know, how it's turned to advocacy for you. It that's kind of therapeutic for me in a way, um, because I do like using my voice. <laughs> so, um, you know, but of course, uh, you know, and again, if you need anything, please feel free to reach out to me because um, I've been there and it's not a place that I ever want to go to again. Thank you. It's much appreciated. You will hear from me for sure. Well, this, I, I do have a question and this is something I'm sure that many people will likely reach out. Cause we already have some folks that have already, how can, and how can friends be supportive? How can family members be best supportive? What types of things can be done to, support our loved ones um, when they're going through um, the different stages of this bout. One of the things that um, I started, we kind of had our last hoorah. So we had our girls date and we had our, our little, you know, get out and we literally just ate crab legs in my car and we went. We, we did. <laughs> we had a seafood picnic in the car. We did. We did. In the car. And, and we went shopping for some things and we bought some neon colored wigs and, um, yeah, cause, you know, you know. <laughs> bought some things. We did. Bought some, bought some, you know, eyebrows and bought a bunch of stuff. And I have eyebrow wigs. Like, you does. The, the greatest joy I think I'm going to find in all of this is letting my, um, my nearest and dearest draw eyebrows on me. Yes. I, I found literal eyebrow wigs. They're, they're mm -hmm. eyebrow wigs. And I was like, this is, you're getting me. Sorry. I, sorry. sorry. You're having first, me. I want a friend that I can eat crab legs in the car with, first of all. Um, I'm saying. That's awesome. I, it's so much, it's so much harder during the pandemic, right? Because yeah, you probably yeah. have to go sit at chemo by yourself. I, yes. Um, yeah. So um, one of the things that I'm working on is a website that's kind of like a help registry so people can register for exactly the help that they need. So, yeah, there, there is one. There is, well, I'm building one, too. So there is there's, okay. there's a lot of them. But locally. the other thing I that I did, it. yeah, if there's that's another, I use it. because, you know, I think that if you don't know what to do for someone, it's really hard. Like meal trains are great, but there's only so much food that you need. There's other things that you need. You know, I think sometimes if I don't know what to do with someone for someone, I'll just check in. I'll just text them randomly and see how they're doing. Um, you know, you, you love humor. So if I knew that about you, I might send you something that I found funny. I don't know if you find it funny, but you know, like something like really You'd try to, <laughs> yeah. You know, people would, um, I had a friend 
she's really an acquaintance, but she would send me a card every two weeks right before my chemo. And I would get a card in the mail and just getting that, you know, just little things like that. Every once in a while, a neighbor would just put something on my porch or just check in. Um, you know, there was the meal trains. Um, I had little kids, so caring for them was a big priority for me. But if you have fur babies or plant babies or human babies, you know, those all need care for too. And so you, friends can offer to do that. Um, you know, but really, if you have a way of telling them exactly what you need, I think that's the best, best thing. And then they can choose the most meaningful way that they can help you. You know, we, we, well, we have a caregiver packet as well on our website that folks can sign up for and get, which has more of the practical, like how you take care of the other life stuff while the person that you're caring for has breast cancer. But also like, if, if you are looking out for someone who's a friend of yours or someone in your family who has breast cancer, depending on your relationship too, just give them a call and say, I want to come over and do your laundry. What day is best for you? Instead of necessarily asking every time, because that can be another burden on the person who's going through um, the illness and their caregiver, because it's just one more thing to think about. Like, oh, I don't know. I need everything. I don't know what to say. So think of things that you're comfortable offering and ask when they want you to come do that. Um, you know, it can be sending them a meal or it could be picking their kids up from school or taking, you know, having the kids sleep over at your house or, you know, whatever, um, your relationship would, whatever would make sense for your relationship. Think of something that you're comfortable doing and offer that, um, to take, it's another way to take the burden off. That, that is a very important point. That was one of the reasons that I looked into this website and I found it. And um, it's it's designed to uh, streamline all of these gift cards. I was looking for something that had a care box. I'm, um, I'm a florist and so I make these uh, gift boxes uh, kind of things anyway, right? But I gathered up knickknack paddywax in this box, right? Of things that I thought would be fun for Melissa. Cause I'm close to Melissa. So of course I know there's just some things, right? Um, and then I called her and I asked her, I said, you know, let's, I'm sending you some stuff on, you know, Amazon and you tell me, you know, tell me which eyebrow shape you like. Cause you can, we can literally. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yes, but it is, but we can reinvent which eyebrow you want, honey. Cause I know, right. Gonna have- I can finally get like that really high arch, like that mm-hmm. Ursula arch that I've always wanted. Um, you know, I yeah. finally get to yeah. morph into a sea witch. It's going to be amazing. You can be whatever you want. Cause we, we're going to take advantage of this honey and have fun. <laughs> which eyebrow you want okay and then we went through 20 wigs and she was like the purple one thank you got it you know and um you know we went through all these things and I collected you know the box you know the the cup that's like you know I'm gonna kick cancer's ass and you pick the wrong bitch you know all those cute things right all those things because I know my girl right and um connect collected all these things in the box and I was like where's there a site that has this because like Melissa isn't the only person that needs this box. So I started looking for that. And in talking to somebody, they told me, oh, there's a site and you can like literally plug the site in and the person, either you can do it or the person can do it, but you can plug it in that they can either get gift cards or their boxes that are curated. Don't say the name. We can't give out free advertising. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. We're restricted from giving out the name. I can't. I'm not. But there's like, you know, But if, um, if we had one that was super local, um, yeah, that would be would. a really cool. Thing yeah, no, I'm not going to say it. I know. I'm not, I, I know. I, I can't. But, but um, yeah, it's. Um, I'll email you later for that information. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, we I, can put it in the chat. Melissa, put it in the chat. 
Yeah. But, I think that's you know, so, I, I just think that's so important that yeah. you are, are giving people, people want to help people yeah. kept me and they kept saying, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And I was like, well, I mean, aside from curing the cancer in my body, you can, right. you know, you, you can, um, bring me a meal or take, Francesca. Yes. I was on mute. I was saying, yes. Can you feed me three days a week? (laughs) Can you do that? Right. Yeah. Can you, you know, do my laundry and especially, you know, think about after surgery, you're not allowed to bend usually. And you have a restriction on how much you can hold, how much like the weight restriction. So, um, there's also, yeah, there's, there's a couple of resources for that, but if the thing that really was hard with someone would say, Oh, I'll take your kids. Just tell me when, well, it was really weird or difficult for me to, you know, go through and call them and put them on the spot and say, can you do this? So I, I think that the, oh, just come I, get them, just come yeah, get them. Just come come get get them. Get They're happy. They're running around. We're good. Don't here. Be on the porch. Come get them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're uh, unlocked. Bring them back at some point. <laughs> they'll be fine. <laughs> well, um, all of yeah. y'all. Ladies, thank you so much for coming on our show, doing something a little different with us um, yeah. this week, sharing your stories and your expertise in uh, educating us all. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. And um, I'll be in touch, I'm sure. Thank you for offering this resource to yes. all of Virginia's women. We really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you, Good luck to thank you. you for having us. So listeners, do you know what time it is? Whew. It's a heavy episode today. But, you know, Flint still has dirty water and so does New Jersey. And now we're adding uh, Petersburg to the list. Yeah. Our PS was fully funded and we need them to be fully funded again so the kiddos can go back to school. So make that happen to the council. And Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. In the meantime, while we're working on it, we're also working on us. That's right. Because we're people too. Yeah, we're people so too. Yeah, check on your people, man. Love on your people. Yep. Thanks, y'all. We'll talk to you soon. Love y'all. Feel the rain on your skin. Right, y'all.